Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm David Greenstein. We're studying Masechet Ketubot, Daf Kuf Zayin Amud Aleph Bamud Bet, Ketubot 107a and b. It's at this page that the Talmud finally discusses the case that is mentioned in the Mishnah that opens this parak that opens this chapter. The question revolves around a man who leaves his wife to go overseas and has not apparently clearly provided for his wife's support. And the question is, how do we deal with the woman claiming that she deserves to be supported out of the husband's estate without any clear directions indicated by the husband before he left? Hanan had said that she takes her necessary support while the husband is away and is not compelled to prove her case until such time as she may demand the payment of her ketubah, either because of divorce or because of the husband passing away. But that opinion was challenged by the priestly authorities as reported in the Mishnah. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai agrees with Hanan in the Mishnah. Our Gemara on page 107 opens with a dispute between Rav and Shmuel. These are first-generation Amoraim, Babylonian sages, and so we're some time after the dispute that was first recorded in our Mishnah, over a hundred years later. And Rav says that the court absolutely must uh, provide for the woman's upkeep by taking funds out of the husband's estate. But Shmuel is not so sure. Shmuel says that it really depends. Can we really believe that the husband has not provided anything for his wife? So the first three months that he is away, we assume that he has left behind enough to support his wife for such a period of time. If we know that he has died while he was away, then of course again, we now agree that she is entitled to be supported from her husband's estate. But in between those two periods, after three months, if he still hasn't returned home, we do not, according to Shmuel, support the woman out of the estate of the husband. Why not? So this is a matter of discussion in the Talmud, and we have two suggestions. One is that we cannot imagine that the husband would do such a thing, leaving his wife without support while he goes away. And therefore, we say, We suspect, we assume, that he has given her enough money, enough property, enough assets to take care of herself, and her claim that she now wants to be supported is in addition to what he already has given her, and therefore we don't have to answer her demand, and we don't have to assume that he has not provided for her. The other suggestion is, however, 
the opposite. The reason that a husband is supposed to support his wife is out of an awkward concept we have about what the marital relation is that has been established by these two people getting married. The husband is in charge, of course, and therefore the question of the woman's independence is always up for negotiation and is a problematic issue. The rabbis decided that the husband should support his wife because there's a deal that they posit, a deal that is made between husband and wife, where the husband will support the wife in exchange for ma'aseyadeha, for whatever she is able to achieve, whatever she is able to earn out of her own efforts. So in a regular operating marriage, woman who has a job must bring the money and put it back into the account of the husband and the husband will then give her support. In this case of course the husband has gone away so whatever she's bringing into the house he theoretically is not enjoying. The assumption now is that knowing this ahead of time the husband says to the wife since I'm not going to be enjoying your earnings you keep your earnings for yourself and I will not be obligated to support you. The difference between these two assumptions is what happens if we know that the woman has no real earning power. In that case, we cannot assume that the husband has decided to abandon her and not pay for her support. The Talmud points out that this dispute between Shmuel and Rav becomes problematic when we compare it to other traditions that we have, and this is where our Mishnah comes in, where Hanan and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai both seem to side with Rav against Shmuel. How can he go against an explicit Mishnah? And Shmuel says that this is because the Mishnah is not talking about a regular case, but it's talking specifically about a case where we have heard that the husband has passed away. What's the nature of that information? How do we find out about such information? The Talmud makes a paradoxical comment. If we're talking about really receiving testimony from two bona fide witnesses that the man has died, then there's nothing to talk about. This is a clear case of the death of the husband and she is now entitled to go to the estate and be supported from it. The problem is that the information is not received from such a reliable source. Perhaps only one witness has heard that other people witnessed or knew that the husband died. In such a case, we do not have sufficient testimony to release the estate to the heirs. And in this case, for instance, the husband's children would not be allowed to go down to the estate and divide it up as heirs to the estate. In this monetary realm, the rumor or the information that we have that the man has died is not sufficient to transfer ownership and rights of usage to his children. However, when it comes to the woman, the wife, we have a principle, Mishum Iguna Ikilu Barabanan, that in order to prevent a woman from becoming an Aguna, a chained woman, a grass widow, someone who is not able to marry again because she is still chained to her marital status to the man who has disappeared, 
we bend over backwards to release her from that marital situation, and one witness's testimony is sufficient. So we have the situation that is counterintuitive, in which the woman is assumed to be now free and clear, independent, but also, therefore, eligible to be supported from her husband's estate, while the children are not considered eligible to take money from the estate. The woman is entitled even to remarry. The Talmud then differentiates between paying for the upkeep of the woman on a daily basis, feeding her, and davaracher, other things. And then the Talmud says, what are those other things that the court does not make sure that she is given money for? And again, we have a dispute. One opinion is that we do not pay for adornments, for makeup, for all kinds of personal enhancements. The other opinion says, no, what we're talking about here is tzedakah. It's fine to take money from the estate in order to support his wife, after all, he's related to her closely, but we do not go to his estate in order to discharge his obligations to make charitable contributions to support the needy. This needs to be understood a little more clearly. In general, we have a principle that we do force people to live up to their charitable contributions if they are part of a town and everybody is involved in making the contributions to the town federation, so to speak, to the town charitable coffers, then we make sure that everybody lives up to their obligation. In this case, though, we don't make that effort. Why not? Commentators explain that we don't know where the husband is, and so we have to assume that wherever he may be, he is discharging the obligation that he has to give a charitable contribution to the needy where he is, and not in his place of origin that he has left. So he has abandoned those obligations. We assume still that he is performing the mitzvah of tzedakah wherever he may be. And it is only in terms of his close relationship with his wife that we have to make extra efforts to make sure that he meets the obligations of that relationship. It's noteworthy that the Gemara reports that there is continuing ongoing resistance to the idea that the husband's estate should be used for the sustenance of the woman after the man disappears. And again and again, we have cases where people make that determination, and then they have to be challenged and be taken to task for not deciding the halakha correctly. In the end, the Talmud puts its foot down and explicitly says no, the Beit Din, the court, must take responsibility to make sure that the woman is sustained and maintained. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.